You're listening to the Piper Carter podcast on the Detroit is Different podcast network. Welcome back to the Piper Carter podcast. You are listening to Piper Carter and I am in, well, I guess it's a virtual studio with my special guest, my very special guest, filmmaker, and now a festival producer, um, Ogechi Chieke. Welcome, Ogechi. Thank you for having me, Piper. Oh my goodness, I'm so excited. Do you know you're one of my favorite people? Likewise. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. So I want to um, I want to learn all about you. You know, I want my listeners to learn all about you. But first, I want you to tell us about your film festival. All right, I would love to. The film festival is called Sabira Cole Film Festival. It can be found at sabirafilmfest.org. Sabira Cole is my mother's twin sister and, um, you know, a, a seminal activist in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. She was active, I think, from the 70s. If, you know, my aunt's life story should have been a movie. You know, she died in February of 2020. Right, right before the pandemic hit, uh, you know, it was just the first of a series of totally unexpected, unbelievable occurrences. So, um, yeah, you know, it's weird because she is my mother's twin. And so it's like she's somebody I've known all my life. She's my second mother almost. And from her, I received my cultural education, like because of her is it's just so many things like why I got involved in cop. Why have I been involved with Capoeira for 25 years? Why have, why can I speak Spanish? Why do I dance salsa? Why do I uh, know Brazilian music? Like it's a lot of things that especially like fed me throughout my life journey that I picked up from my aunt, you know, just love of other cultures and wanted to blend into them. So, you know, the film festival is not about me. <laughs> But that's my connection to Sabira Cole. So um, in terms of the film festival, she her activism is just like tremendous. Like, I, I mean, I hate to sound like this. Everybody probably thinks I sound like grandiose, but like everybody knows my aunt. I'm, I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My aunt was a very recognizable figure. Her funeral was huge. Like it was like couldn't even fit the people in the building. But um, reasons why, uh, she was a Rasta. She had dreads all the way down her back, down to her ankle. She cut them to like her knees and it was too heavy. She cut it to like, you know, butt length. So she was just a very recognizable figure. Um, they put the on the Black Arts Festival here in Pittsburgh years ago. You know, we had this big, huge arts, you know, these things, how are we going to ever have these things again? post uh pandemic but you know huge street festivals uh african musicians uh staffing the african musicians and the uh drummers and you know any of those type of cultural events staffing those type of cultural events kwanzas that was my aunt and you know that was just her energy you know i i really regret that she's not here to tell her entire life story but uh, in her death, I learned so many things about her. I learned that she had booked Bob Marley to come here and perform in Pittsburgh. I learned that she uh, had protested apartheid with Danny Glover. 
um, I learned that, um, she, you know, her main influence for the path that she went on to when she went into the nonprofit sector uh, was Fannie Lou Hamer in her community work and her activism. I did not know that. So, you know, she started off doing uh, HIV and AIDS activism and prevention. And I used, actually used to work for her. She gave me my first job. I'm working since I was 12 years old. You know, so there's just a lot of information that I learned from her. She hired so many people. Like, my aunt had just so much respect. But people were kind of scared of her, too, because she was very serious. She did not play around. Like, I can't explain it. You know, she loved to, like, dance, salsa, and, you know, she loved to, thus, you know, bring communities together. But at the same time, there was, like, a little bit of fear surrounding her character. <laughs> But eventually after she did, I think she did like HIV and AIDS prevention to like at a level to where like people from other cities in our state, like medical facilities came to study with her. They came to train with her because she was so effective in her HIV and AIDS prevention. Uh, they would distribute, uh, you know, fresh needles, condoms, safer sex packets. She was so effective that she would lead trainings, like literally statewide trainings. So then I guess, you know, in her retirement years, she transitioned into something that she loved, which was film. You know, she loved, uh, you know, series. She loved to watch movies. She'll just watch any type of movies. So many movies, like, I think about, she put me on to. So many series, uh, Spanish language series, like Epitafios and Profugos. Like, she just will watch. She loved the film genre. So, she also used it as a medium to teach. And, you know, I'm sure you're as aware of this as I am, but, you know, there's like, you know, the Hollywood system where they're always like promoting things that already sold before and making iterations of things that we've already seen because it's already been proven to sell. And then there's filmmakers who sacrifice their life and their finances to create artistic statements that might not be seen on that huge mass level. Those are the artists that she promoted and spoke for people who were telling our stories, stories of the diaspora. And she would also have discussions after the film. So her film festival was called Sabin, the Film and Art Festival, after the father of African cinema, Usman Sabin. And she put that on for 11 years in Pittsburgh. And uh, she did them in the community at the Homewood Library. She did them in the Hill District, you know, in the Black community. So you could come and see, you know, cutting edge art films in the Black community. But she also had a, a great partnership with a justice organization called the City of Asylum, which is on the north side. It's uh, headed by a man named Henry Brees, who he created the uh, program to uh, actually, uh, you remember uh, Salman Rushdie when they was about to run him out? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they had a fought one. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, Henry, I think, uh, is friend or associate to Sam and Rushdie. So that's how they started the uh, City of Asylum to uh, create. Literally, they have houses, apartments for artists that can't be in their country anymore because of their artistic statement. For whatever reason, they're no longer at home in their country. They're under, uh, you know, threat of death. So then they come here to Pittsburgh and they also have, you know, global communities for them. So that's the uh, organization that my aunt was partnering with, which has been, you know, a very uh, fruitful partnership for us now as the Sabira Cole Film Festival. Wow. Now, um, this, you, well, first of all, thank you to your aunt. Can you say her name again, just for yes. so y'all can have it in our hearts? Sabira Bushra Cole. 
Sabira Bushra Cole. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your work, for your sacrifice, for your contribution, just for pouring into your community, for teaching, for what you've built, just for everything. Thank you. Wow. What an amazing. And you weren't even able to probably tell half of it. No, I didn't. I, I, I honestly, <laughs> I'm trying to edit that for brevity. Like, there's, <laughs> I can there's, imagine. More, there's more to the story. But, you know, I, you know, I will say I don't do the film festival alone. I, I do work with uh, my uncle, Michael Hill, and uh, Khalil Ziegler, who he's an employee of the City of Asylum, but he was close friends with my aunt as well. He worked closely with her on Saban. And so, uh, you know, he does our communications, our website with uh, Sabira Cole Film Festival. So, you know, I don't I don't produce the film festival alone. And I definitely want to make mention of that. But, um, you know, we're we're all, you know, like I said, my my uncle, my mother's younger brother, you know, we're all here because, you know, we love her. and We want to carry her name forward. And so uh, what we did for 2020, one of the things that my aunt would always like, you know, I used to, well, I used to work for her. When I moved back here, actually, that's what made it possible for me to work for her. Uh, I mean, you know, it just eased my transition here, obviously, like, you know, not just having a job like ready-made or whatever. So I used to work for Saben Film festival. I used to do like her graphic design, things for her website. You know, I did, you know, graphics and things like that for years. So I worked for my aunt. And one of the things that she really, really wanted to do was a um, juried competition for emerging filmmakers. But every year something would, you know, get in the way of that. And if, if it was like the budget, the finances, you know, whatever the case may, excuse me, may have been. So uh, you know, we already had enough programming or whatever it would be, or, you know, so, you know, creation of the Sabira Cole Film Festival was the culmination of, like, ideas that had been floating around when she was still alive, but it was just, like, even me, like, you know, I feel bad, like, man, we could have, should have did this when she was alive, you know, put it online, had the film festival be totally virtual, but we were, like, forced because of the pandemic. (laughs) So, you know, it's a totally virtual online film festival. We're global now. We can be viewed from anywhere. All you do is come to our website, register for the event, tune in at the time, you know, so uh, that, and then the fact that we uh, receive submissions from 22 countries all over the world. And we uh, actually did give awards um, with a grant, uh, made possible by the Pittsburgh Foundation and our uh, our sponsors, our donors, we received donations to um, award 10 filmmakers in three categories. We we awarded film, three films in feature length, documentary or narrative, uh, short film documentary or narrative, and then children's section that was named after uh, you know, my grandmother, Mike's mother, Geraldine B. Hill. She was a teacher. You know, she's our grandma. She's our matriarch. So we named the uh, Children's Award after that. And so one of the, even one of the, um, you know, two of the filmmakers within the children's section were adults, but actually there was a 12-year-old girl who <laughs> she submitted what I thought was like the cutest film ever. I mean, I'm a little bit biased because I'm a turtle lover, but it was called The Turtle Swim. Um, her name was Jenna Lee and, uh, we awarded her as well. So we sent them trophies and we sent them like cash awards because, you know, one of the things that I learned from my aunt, she was a true patron of the art. She would never try to like, 
you know, if she had to pay it out of her own budget, if she would, vol- you know, I hate to say this, but she would volunteer her own hours. That's how dedicated she was. She would pay her employees before she, you know, some people who were running a nonprofit and just robbed the nonprofit. <laughs> She was not like that. Like she was actually like diametrical opposed to that type of behavior. She would, uh, you know, pay out of her pocket if it meant to pay one of her employees. And she would always try to pay them top dollar. Like I said, I used to make $12 an hour from her, like back in like 94. So <laughs> I was 12 and I was balling because, you know, she, and yeah, that's the same thing. Like with the screening fees, with the film festivals, you know, there might be a going rate for the city or whatever the case may be, but she would love to put money into artists' pockets. So that was part of what the film festival did is, you know, we didn't just award them, you know, with lip service. We actually, you know, try to give them a little money. Wow. Now that, you know, when I hear her, she sounds so familiar um, because of my own family and also just because of uh, she just sounds like a woman that that we share a lot of values, you know. And so um, what a blessing to be her niece and, you know, related to her and all of that. Like, that's amazing. And, and you know, and what a blessing that you're carrying on the legacy you and your family get to do this together that she, you know, we talk about generational wealth that she built something that you were able, that your you and your family are able to step into a framework and institution. Can you talk about that part a little bit? Well, I certainly can. I certainly can. Uh, I love my family, but I will have to say, you know, Piper, it was a case of being in the right place at the right time. Uh, I left Pittsburgh in 1999. I was on my own for 17 years, but I will say that that's where you inspired me to go home. (laughs) Go home. Wow. (laughs) You know, so I came home. If I hadn't been here, none of this would have happened, you know? Wow. And I went to Pittsburgh one, no, wait, one, one time I went and I, and I went uh, for activism though, uh, some couple years ago. And I remember I was like, oh, I want to catch up with Ogechi. And we were only there, like, I don't know, like probably like two days or something and in a hotel, just like working on some activism. And uh, I walked down a couple of streets and, I was just like, you know, it was cool. You know, I was like, man, I want to go back. And I kept texting you like, I want to go back to Pittsburgh and hang out with you. And you're like, come on, come on. I probably wasn't even here, girl. I don't even, I I only be here half the time anyway, but you know, I live here now, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't remember when that was, but it's possible, you know. No, it was years ago. It was, I don't know, six, seven, I don't know, something years ago. Yeah, I've only been here for like four years. Like I've been here for exactly, like the the clock struck for four years uh, in December. So I've been here for four years. Uh, I mean, it's cool. Like, I mean, I guess for activism, you know, I have a lot of activism. The people in my family are activists and teachers. You know, so that's really what happened here, you know, and I fought against it. And look at me, I'm a professor now. So, you know, that's what happened here. That You know, they're activists and teachers, activists and teachers, activists and teachers. Uh, my mother's oldest sister, her name is uh, Ayana. She does a community garden, uh, Sankofa Village Community 
garden. And I'd go down there and volunteer and take the food boxes and I uh, refresh their mural that they have a Sankofa bird. You know, I hooked it up for them. But, you know, I don't really do too much with the garden. We would I would like to part my mom, but she's very successful with that. And they, they're very effective. They do. They teach children about gardening. There's people always doing profiles, YouTube profiles about my aunt. And she's getting written up in the newspaper and, you know, she gets her grant. So uh, she goes to Detroit. I think there's some uh, community gardening scene there. And I know that she does go to Detroit, you know, but like I said, I'm not that uh, in tune with it. I think my sister does sit on her board, but I don't know too much about it. Oh, and then what's her, what's her, her garden is the Sankofa Sankofa Village Community Garden. Okay, so I'm going to have to check because, you know, I'm a member of Detroit Black Community Food Security Network and D-Town Farms, and I'm sure they know everybody, you know, so I'm sure they're part of the ecosystem. But that's amazing. Like, look at the look at your family tree and all these institutions. You guys are not only teachers, you're institution builders. Yes, yes. Now, I'm proud. I love, like I said, I love my family. I am, um, you know, proud to be a part of this family. So that's where my energy comes from to, you know, contribute. You know, it's it comes from my family. I'm happy to be in my purpose and doing something that I feel is valuable. You know, there's nothing better than that. And then, you know, any type of financial gain comes second to that. But, you know, you know, once again, you know, I have to just chalk it up to being one in the right place at the right time with the right skills. <laughs> yeah, but that also speaks to, you know, you and alignment and your your decision making and things like that. So, you know, that's a pretty powerful uh, intuition you have there. So that's what's up. And you know what? Um you know, speaking of intuition, I mean, that has a lot to do with you as a filmmaker. I see you as an artist filmmaker. Like there's different types of filmmakers, obviously. And for me, what I've always seen about you is your uh, vision, if you will, your creativity, the way you think. Um, I really admire it. You know, I've, I've been a, a fan. I uh, remember some projects you did. I'm going to tell you a quick story. It's it's to be real fast. Mm-hmm. But I remember um uh my cousin had the, has this friend uh and my cousin's living in New York. My cousin's friend uh was living in Harlem and owned uh, a couple of properties. And one of the properties he had in New York was empty at the time and we did this installation there. And I think like I did photography or something and, or no, but you know what? I didn't even do anything. I didn't even do any photos for that one. I, I, I think you did a room, you did a video installation room and I, I got another guy to do photography and we had a big pot of gumbo. And I think we charged like $5 at the door or something. And, and, um, I, I know I had two other friends do photography and we, they each one took an apartment and then you took an apartment and did, you know, I think you had like uh, a television or something and like a screen. And then you showed, you know, your work and, and you and you set up the lighting and it was just amazing. And it was at the time, I think it was around like 2000, maybe what was it? Maybe 2004 or something like that. 2003, 2004, maybe 2005. And um, at that time, you know, it was when video installation was still pretty like obscure and you know, people were like, what's that? 
you know, and I just remember like all these amazing people came, you know, to this, to this installation and it was so freaking cool. And I was like, yeah, that's my friend. I don't know if you even remember that. That was in New York city. I remember things about it. I remember, but I remember I have so many great memories of uh, ways that we collabed. I remember we did a music video for Ife. I remember Haya. I remember uh, one time I I assisted you uh, with what's his name, Marcado. We did it was Amanda Lapore was the model. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I remember so many trips. You came with me when I had that show at Echo Showroom. Yes. Yes, like it was so many things, and that was a huge show. Like, yeah, so many big artists were in that show, and you and your your vision, you know, just the way that you do things, and you know, um, the way you think, and 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 even when like I when I first moved to Detroit, that for I was here, I wasn't, I didn't even know I was actually moved here yet. <laughs> I just came and I was helping take care of my mom. My mom had been, she had had a heart attack. And then she had um, been in a coma for a week. She had lost like her full sight, memory and mobility. And I remember um, just being in the hospital day in and day out for like months. And I don't know, some time passed, like, I feel like, I don't know, eight, nine months passed. And then I was, uh, you know, I needed a break (laughs) because I was just taking care of my mom day in and day out. And you were like, do you want to come to L.A.? And I was like, oh, my God, I don't know if I can, but I found someone to take care of my mom. I found a a caregiver to take care of my mom. And I went to L.A. I feel like was it a week or two weeks? I can't remember because time just like stopped. Yes, I remember that. that, And honestly, once again, you know, that's why I have to say I value you as an artist. Like I said, your skill is unmatched. Like, you know, you're so humble. We're going to get into that, get into that in a second. But as a friend, as a sister, like. You know, I, listen, I don't know what your podcast is about, what I can say or what I can't say, but no, you really, say whatever you want. <laughs> you saved me. You saved me from like, uh, this is like totally side note related, but you saved me from uh, falling for a dusty that week. Like I was also, I was, you had said something to me that stuck with me for my whole life, but that's another topic for another time. But girl, you know, I remember you came and we went out, we ended up going out to uh, Panorama City. <laughs> yeah. Like I know. And we, and we went to the beach and it was just amazing. And you were like, Oh, just relax. And, and, and I remember you were trying to like, take me out and take me to industry parties and show me LA and get me hooked up in the scene. And I was like, I'll get you. I just want to sit here in the sun and relax. And you were like, are you freaking kidding me? This is LA. You can yeah, get connections. You can get was, your work. I was like, I just want to relax. <laughs> no, I heard that. No, honestly though, but you know what? Uh, you know, I, I it's possible. It's, you know, that does sound like who I was at the time, but that's what, you know, like I said, going to those industry parties, I'm glad I took that time out of my life to do that because it feeds what I do now. There, I mean, there's no b- doubt about it. Like, I, you know, if I, the connections that I made definitely assist me now. But at the same time, listen, I wasn't about to hook you up, girl. We're not even going to talk about your connections. You know, we're not going to talk about your career. Like, put some respect on Piper Carter's name. Okay, that's all I got to say. Put some respect on Piper Carter's name. Uh, 
only person I knew who was out in uh, Italy being a photo assistant, top photographers, like, let's really get into it. Uh, building, you know, talking about institution builders, uh, building magazines, you know, I, like I said, I don't want to name names. I don't want to put anybody on blast. I don't want anybody put anybody out. But all I'm going to say is put some respect on Piper's name. <laughs> wow, thanks for getting, wait, I'll get you. Do you remember uh, you introduced me to Georgia and Muldrow? Oh my yes. God. I'm such a, yes. I mean, to this day, I'm, I'm still a huge fan. I can't believe I stayed like a week at her house. And what was so funny is we were there and like Mad Lib was coming over and like making beats and stuff. These are people that, are, and there's like, you know, the Clem, like I'm like Dudley Perkins. I'm like, oh my God. And I'm just talking to, and you're like, yeah, that's Georgia. I'm like, oh my God. And like Georgia. I, I met Georgia at Howard through this other girl named Malika. But yeah. uh yeah, Georgia, you know, she always was a person who, you know, helped me and encouraged my vision. And, you know, she gave me a lot of opportunities. So, you know, definitely like she's a very down to earth person. And she definitely, I have to say, gave me a lot of opportunities to exercise my creativity, make a little money. So, you know, much she's amazing. Like she's a mother, mm -hmm. a music mm -hmm. producer. They call her the female Dilla. Like and seeing the two of you you know, work together because y'all made that video in her um, that that what was it a garage or that other part of her house where y'all did that video? Oh, I don't remember because that time I don't that was probably like the first time I had uh, worked with them when they first made the label. So I really kind of remember something. But then I worked with the end of working with them again and they had moved into a house into um, Inglewood. You know, uh, uh, yeah, like mm -hmm. they, because I remember uh, her making the healer, you know, that beat the healer. And at that time, when I went out there, she was making that beat. And I remember we were there every day. She was just a regular person. Like she was like a mother, like she was cooking food and like taking care of her kids and making sure they were going to school and doing their homework and all this kind of thing. And in between, she was making these beats. And I remember, you know, we would have conversations about Detroit and music and hip hop and all that. And uh, she played it for me. She was like, what do you think about this? And all I remember is I thought my head was gonna fall off my neck. The beat was so hard. I was like, whoa, I was like, that's awesome. And uh, then this talent and like a visionary and an intuitive. Like a year later, I heard that yeah. and I hit her up, like, whoa, I heard your beat. She's like, Oh yeah. But and, and what was funny, she was like, What beat? Because you know, I'm thinking like the one on the radio, <laughs> Erica Badu. Like, I'm all excited. She's like, Oh, I'll make that song ago. I done forgot. And because she makes like like an album a day or something. You know, her output is tremendous. <laughs> She's a tremendous creative. Her output is tremendous. She's amazing. But yeah, I met her through you and can't believe I stayed at her house like a week. She was so hospitable. Like, but this is what I'm saying. Like, and uh, and also too, I just remember like having all these deep conversations with you about like lighting and, you know, art and, you know, composition and just like different filmmakers and you know some different points of history of film and that for me showed me your approach you know to the medium of film is is much it's you're very much an artist right like you're very much a visual artist and you approach film you know in that way can you talk about your you know approach to filmmaking 
I can. I definitely can. I think, you know, part of uh, what, you know, powers me probably on the back end is that I'm a researcher. You know, I'm a, I'm a student. I'm a scholar. And I'll just like absorb information. I think I actually attract information. You know, information, it comes to me. Like I think about something, I'll start asking a question in my head and then in my fingertips, it'll be like there on my phone screen somehow. I don't know how it gets it. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, ways. There's a lot of, I think in terms of the filmmaking process too, I'm able to collaborate with people because I know about their medium as well. You know, I know some history about their medium. So it's easier for me to work, you know, like, um, I've been on all sides of the filmmaking process. I started out really as a um, as an editor and an animator, which is what I really am, you know, and I'm fine with that. Like, I don't want to say I don't have an ego, but I really kind of don't almost like I could. I'm the type of artist I could get like pushed around because I really <laughs> do not have that urge to be in charge at all. But at the same time, you know, if I'm with creative partners who are respectful enough to listen to me, I think that I can contribute something to each aspect of the process. You know, and that's where I would say, like, you know, my relationship with you, where I learned lighting and principles of lighting and how to do it and how to reflect light and how to carve a shape out with light, just different things like that. Um, you know, because I came from post-production, and so I know what goes into creating a certain output on screen. You know, and another thing, too, I would say definitely being an editor, animator, you know, what happened to me, especially when I was in New York, a lot of other filmmakers, you know, everybody wants to be a director. Everybody wants to be the boss. Everybody likes that title. But and then they, and I and I love it because some of the people are just like they just take action. They don't like overthink things. They just take action and they shoot it and they get everybody there. They cast and, you know, and then it's done. But then they come to somebody like me, like, can you fix this? Can you fix the sound? Can you fix the lighting? I'm like, bruh. So <laughs> by the time that I ever like get the confidence to say I'm the director and I'm running this show, I've actually like thought about these things. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, and then, and that's what I mean, right? So you, so as a, let's say like the role of a director, like, uh, although, you know, there's different types of directors, right? And we have amazing directors like Ava, who, you know, really um, get in, in that kind of a way. And, and you know what? Um, Regina King, Right. Like I really like I really like her work, what, I, what I've seen. Right. But I think like in general, the mindset of a director is really more the story, you know, or at least I'm, I'm generalizing. But what I've seen is directors in, in, in a sense, I feel like are really more, you know, looking at the story and then um, they kind of get with a filmmaker that, you know, is uh, or, or, or I should say a um cinematographer who you know can really bring that story to where you know they've seen it in their brain right right I, right I think I mean, it's the difference between a spike lee and a tyler perry they're both oh, directors sure. they're both black. <laughs> <laughs> there's a different visual 
aspect at play. Like Tyler Perry, he came from, you know, plays. That visual aspect of, you know, creating something with the cinematographer. He just says, you know, I listen, I don't know Tyler Perry. I've never worked with him. I can only guesstimate what his process might be, which is point at it and shoot, you know. But and, and it's nothing against that, because once again, look at his output. Tremendous. But then you have like a Spike Lee who's doing mixed media almost with film. And that's why I say you're kind of you're different in that you're both right. Like you're actually you're actually a visual storyteller. Right. And what and you also do sound. So you also know how to, you know, the sound should you know, not just the technical, right? Like the levels and this kind of thing, but also to telling the story with sound, like how the, how the story can be told in, in, in ways that, you know, sound is useful, right? Not just the music or not just the dialogue, but, you know, and not just the ambient sound, but what, what is the sound, what is the soundtrack, you know, what is the, you know, how does the audio like tell the story? Right. And I think that, you know, by you having that, but then also being a graphic designer and, you know, understanding color, texture, tone, you know, this kind of thing, composition. I think that what you bring is a multidimensional level. And that's what I mean when I say I feel like you're more of a visual um, storyteller so that by the time your pieces are, you know, complete, they're art, they're they're art. Well, what I will say is I never like set out as a young person said I wanted to be a filmmaker. I actually uh, was always just like some type of crafty person doing, you know, I I was the person who was making the macrame bracelets and things like that. So I just was a person who was always artistic and then found myself in some type of arts education. So I was always doing collage. Like if you came to my house, it's, you know, my all the art. Most of the art in my mother's house is uh, created by me. Like, it's a lot of different artists here, different media, but there's a lot, enough art. There's, you know, somebody, one of my friends came over here and was like, how come your mom don't have any pictures of you? Because there are no pictures of my face here. Like, <laughs> no snapshots, but the art on the walls is uh, mine. But, you know, once again, it just came from mixed media, talent, seeing something, thinking I could do it. You know, photography, uh, I got into that with the Pentax K1000 doing black and white photography in high school in a free program. I really wanted to be a musician, but I could not get support from my uh, family in that respect. So I just went to where I could get the support, which was visual arts. And um, that's what stuck to me, started getting scholarships. Uh, went to Howard um, and, and I went there in anthropology, you know, with, with a whole different purpose. Had to get out of it. Um yeah, shouts out Howard University. That's my hey, alma mater. Hey, 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 uh, and my mom is African-American, whatever that means. So, you know, I mean, I grew up in two cultures. <laughs> so whatever that means. Whatever that means. So, you yeah, know, I, I grew up in two cultures. I'm thankful for that. Like I said, I received my cultural education in my home. I received my Black history education in my home. You know, I was excited to learn about it in school. I'm surprised when, you know, is I can't explain it. But like, yeah, now all those things are like, you know, the source of my power. 
research black history yes. cultures you know seeing the commonalities of my, uh, my culture with other cultures like really understanding that i'm a, a global citizen um traveling just talking to people shooting the hay oh my god i love it and can you can, let's talk about howard and like your you know how your collegiate the uh, you know path connected to you becoming a filmmaker well what happened was i came to howard i was an anthropology i was in the classics department you know i love to read um i love history so i was in classics i was loving it um i came in there on scholarship um i was actually enrolled in another school but they had this girl amber call me on the phone and i actually was home to receive the call which was unusual and um she was like, why didn't you come? Because I had a scholarship and I didn't even go down there because the paperwork thing, you know, everybody knows about Howard is notorious to A building. I don't know if it's still fashionable to tell the truth about Howard right now, but yeah, it was a little shaky at the time. So, you know, I had never got a um, acceptance letter. I didn't even know. And I was like, it was killing me because I was like, darn, I really wanted to go there. I thought I actually got rejected. So, which would really made no sense. But um, I was enrolled in another school. Uh, I was already taking classes, and some girl from Howard called me. And was like, "Howard is the bomb. Why you didn't come down? Howard is the bomb." She kept saying that over and over. So I said, "Okay." We load up the car. Uh, they drove me down and dropped me off. I came to Howard, and then I was in arts and sciences. So I was not in the fine arts at all. But I always wanted to do. It's so weird, like the way life can happen to you. Because you know, in my heart, though, I, you know, even when I was in photography, I always wanted to do a film about my family like a documentary or something because there's a lot of interesting stories in my family i'll just put it like that like there's a lot of uh activism in my family there's a lot of resistance in my family um so you know there's things like that i'm very proud of and i would like to share with people so that was always on my heart but i did not ever take that step and say i'm going to film school no I never did. So, um, you know, once again, it's just something that happened to me. It fell into me. It was because of the people I was around, because of the people that I befriended. I'm a very shy person, but people always kind of pick me, you know? So it's just weird. So what, what ended up happening is, you know, flash forward, I was in anthropology. I got tired of it because I was like, you know what? Something didn't sit right with me about being ha having needing to filter my interpretation of another culture through a lens that was created by an oppressor now i probably couldn't have said that at the time in those exact words but so you know i would you know i would go to class and it was like very boring slow the way they would break things down to the average student so i was already bored so i what i would do is i would go to the library i would go down to moreland springer go in a basement and pull the anthropology books off the shelves and read them. But that's when it really started to like kind of sink in. Like maybe this is not for me because I was trying to make a certain statement and it was like, I would probably had to turn myself inside out to make that statement to somebody who didn't care. So that's when I left and I said, let me just go to the arts. But I was already in the arts because I had, like I said, did that program in Pittsburgh. We had this program called the Manchester Crafting Guild. Uh, it was put together by this man named Bill Strickland. Uh, he's like a black ph philanthropist and there's this program and they, you know, there's so many, it's a, it's a school called Bidwell and then on the side of the school, within the school, is this arts program, very experimental called Manchester Craftsman's Guild. They invite uh, traveling artists to come do workshops and teach the kids 
like, you know, so it's really interesting, you know, and then, and then the resources are there, you know, at the time, you know, this was pre-digital, we did dark room and develop it. We used to burn and dodge and, you know, we did the dark room and they were the dark room studio, the ceramic studio, the painting studio, they did have a digital studio and I was exposed to Photoshop as early as 96, you know, not knowing the they would become like a huge part of my life at that point. You know, I was more on the photography side of things, but, uh, you know, I had been doing art shows and doing oral histories. I had interviewed my great grandmother and people in my neighborhood about their life and racism. And, you know, I wanted to tell, I was already telling stories. I was just doing it through photography and in like a gallery setting. So maybe you'll print up a paragraph of what that person said or have like a recording that the uh, viewer could listen to. So I was already starting to do that type of documentation when I was like 15. So, you know, it was easy for me to just make the switch over at um, when I got to Howard and I think it was Winston Kennedy. He had uh, gave me like a year of credits, even though I came into the fine arts late. He took like a year of my credits off so I could just continue with my year and graduate on time. So that's how I got to fine arts. And once again, I'm like a sponge. I'm doing every single elective and, you know, every single thing. And I'm always like getting in trouble somehow. I don't know what that was about. You know, we'll just gloss over that. Like for my artistic choices, I wouldn't be really be wrong, but something about the way that I was doing my art was like upsetting people who were like my professors to the point they would yell at me. And that is a true thing. So I don't know what that is, but that aspect of my art being provocative is something that by the time I got to grad school, I definitely was like, you know, aiming to push those buttons. And that had to do with how I was creating art at the time and the video art that I imagine that you could be referring to, you know? So that's part of what that was. But uh, yeah, no, I learned a lot of Howard. You know, we have a, a rich, rich, rich cultural tradition. We have a rich uh, black art tradition at Howard. They have Afrocobra. There's a uh, art theory and art philosophy that is centered around Howard and those uh, cultural influence of those Ethiopians and those African-Americans in DC. And, you know, I'm proud to have been influenced by those people like Al Smith and, you know, talk to them, Professor Adewale, like all those people, you know, even the people that I went to school with. And that was another thing at Howard, not what I always tell my students is like, you know, your classmates are a resource. I feel so terrible in this pandemic, how we're so separate. And I'm trying to you know, create ways for my students to interact with each other. Right now, when you go into the classroom, everybody's got their camera off and nobody wants to speak and nobody wants to interact. But I always, you know, in the prior semesters, what I would do was only have critiques around the class assignments. But I'm actually starting to do critiques just around like their social media or whatever it is that they're presenting so that we can get to know each other. Because honestly, like that was how I learned so many things and uh, so many uh, you know, big things that happened in my art, in my career, I'm going to tell the truth. It was just had to do with the people that I was around. And so how, because when I met you, you were doing animation. And at that time, you know, animation was a whole, animation now I feel is a lot more accessible to more people but I feel as though at the at the time when I encounter when I met you, uh, it didn't feel as though animation was so accessible to so many people. And so I was fascinated that, you know, this black woman, this young black woman was, you know, doing animation as you know your choice. And can you talk about that 
stuff. Amen. You know? Amen. Yeah, you know, I really, it really was not common. And, you know, it was just something, you know, like I said, I came from arts and crafts. So I'm doing collages. I'm piecing things together. I'm doing beadwork. I'm doing macrame. And I, for me, I can't speak for anyone else. For, for me, animation was a way for me to incorporate my other mediums into onto the screen. Because my other mediums were always important to me. Like some people were like, oh, that little craft stuff. Oh, who cares? Uh, you know, it's no value. It's women's work. It's this, it's that. It's not high art. But that was my way of bringing my mixed media onto the screen. I started doing it at Howard with sculpture. But that's actually how I got into editing. Strangely enough, I was doing these sculptures and, you know, the whole anthropology thing and history and time immemorial. So I was doing these fossilized you know, things that I was making these uh, white plaster uh, things that hang on the wall that were like vaginal, but they had like fossilized, you know, shapes in them. And um, I was just doing like this huge series of them. And then I was documenting them with video and iMovie. And then I, like I said, I was at the computer lab. I used to work at the computer lab. And then my friend, Sophia, um, her, at the time, her name was Sophia McClinton. Sophia Songhai now, that's her stage name. She was there and we were always friendly, like from the lunchroom, but uh, they had some commercial that they were working on. I think it was for Comcast Cable. And the guy who was the um, supposed to be the editor just walked off. So, <laughs> and I saw all the drama unfold and I was sitting there editing. So it's like, do you want to be the editor? Yeah, and that's all she wrote. I've been an editor ever since. Wow. <laughs> and, and, and then, but so there's one thing for people to ask you to do something. There's another thing to be able to follow through, carry out, and do a good job. You know, yeah, then I start doing it all the time. You know, I was a nerd. Like I was the type of person. I worked in the computer lab. Uh, I would eat every meal in the computer lab. I wouldn't leave. Like I was thinking about it the other day when Cicely Tyson died. My friend had invited me to some link through WhatsApp. Like click this link and you can watch. Cicely Tyson speak and something just told me if I don't click this link, I'm not going to get a chance to hear her speak. And you know what? It was, I didn't click it because I had been sitting at my desk all day and it was like, I've been trying, you know, it's so hard in the uh, pandemic to just find time to rest. You know, there's always one more thing. Everything's virtual. You can be anywhere at any time and, you know, someone can ask you to do something. So I was like, I really want to click this link to hear Cicely Tyson, but I'm like, eh, this is supposed to be my little two hours of rest time before I do my next activity. Let me just chill out. So uh, I didn't click it, but it reminded me this one time uh, my friend Allison had came to the computer lab and I would not leave that computer lab for nothing. But that would be the time that I would like, you know, People don't realize with the uh, digital arts, like some people just like, oh, I tried it. I don't know how to do it. No, you really have to research. You have to do tutorials. You have to do the tutorial. You have to take notes on what the teacher said to you. You got to do about three, four other tutorials on YouTube. Go find another one on Google before you could even. And then you have to actually complete your work and you might fail and you're going to try it again before you can even master something. So, you know, I, I took it, you know, I don't know, like the conversations that I guess I must have been having with my, uh, not even my uh, classmates, because I, I mostly would hang out with like 
my boyfriend, but my boyfriend was an artist as well. He was an animator in that medium. So I learned a ton from him. And then his friends, you know, they were a little older than me and they were all into anime. And, you know, I would just hang out with them. I just would not leave the computer lab. And there were so many reasons we wouldn't leave the computer lab. Uh, we would play video games. Like we would just order the food to the computer lab. I would not leave. They said Octavia Butler is speaking on campus. I was like, I'm gonna catch y'all later. I didn't go. And then the lady died like two weeks later. Like, why didn't I go see Octavia Butler? That's how committed I was to being in the computer lab and doing my craft. Like I, time just didn't even, my family would call me and be like, oh, we're all going to Aruba. Would you want to go? No, I would stay at Howard in the summer and I would still be in the computer lab. We have so much in common. <laughs> <laughs> My family went on like all type of glamorous vacations. I did not even go. It's like I when I left home, I didn't even know them anymore. Like it was like <laughs> when I came back, yeah, it's like yeah. who are you? Who are you? You you in our family? Yes, as a matter of fact, I am. That's funny. And then also too, your artistry, you know, expands into your your body, your fashion, your look, the way you do things. You've always been forward in your expression of your fashion. Can you talk about that? Thank you, Piper, for noticing. Um, I think that I got the bit by the fashion book from my mother. My mother was, you know, very beautiful. She's still very beautiful. She was a model, actually, for Saks Fifth Avenue. She didn't bother to tell me that until she dropped me off in New York when I went to grad school. I was thinking to myself, why wouldn't she have ever told me that? Because I actually had wanted to be a model, and I was in uh, Seventeen Magazine, The School Zone, when they came to my school. But she, once again, my mother would never freaking help me do anything. Like, I don't know what that was. I think it's just who she is, and I'm not, you know, I'm not mad about it anymore. But, you know, there's some artists who their parents like introduce them to working artists and give them money and put them in lessons. And my parents refused to do that for me. I don't know what that was. I, I couldn't even get a ride. I used to get the bus for me to go and do that program where I was doing the uh, photography. I used to ride the bus like two hours. So anyway, but at, at the same time, it made me so much stronger. Like I think the, the, the force that I will pursue something that's a goal for me is probably stronger but with the uh, fashion thing, I was always like a weirdo. I was always the odd man out. I could never win. I could never be popular. I think in high school, they called me most uniquely dressed. At that point, by the time of high school, I just stopped caring. I had a little shaved head. Like, I just didn't care anymore. I used to be a goth. You know, I used to, uh, probably when I first started uh, was because I got into rock music. I was into grunge. And then I was dressing like that. And then I was a goth. I used to get laughed at on the way home. You know, I live in the black community. So they didn't really understand why this other black girl wasn't trying to conform to my little cut. My cousin, he told me, he was like, you could be pretty if you would just straighten your hair and get a perk. I wouldn't do it. I just would shave my hair off and get some, I love vintage clothes. I used to like cut school and shop vintage when vintage was good. And, you know, I will always love that. I always looked up to models and Naomi Campbell. I don't know why, but then for my mother to reveal after the fact that she had been a model for uh, Saks Fifth Avenue and Horns and some of our local department stores, I just thought that was weird of her to like withhold that information. But um, I always did uh, have a lot of respect for the fashion industry. I think because she had uh, magazines in the house, uh, Harper's Bazaar. Uh, Vogue and my mother loved designer clothes. She used to, we used to cry. Like I can remember like maybe even like being like four or five years old. They had uh, ateliers. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. Is it atelier? How do you say it? And um, yeah, yeah, here in, correct. 
in Pittsburgh. So you could go there and you would buy the clothes. You know, now you can, you know, all that stuff is dead because everything's online. But in the 80s, you have to understand it wasn't like you couldn't buy, uh, you know, Gucci online. You couldn't buy Fendi online. You had to go to the store, try it on. You see what I'm saying? And then they would fit it to you. They would like tailor it for you in the store. There was like a little stage in the middle of the store. It would be like on the top floor of the department building. My mother used to love to, and my aunt Sabira, they were both fashionistas, would love to shop in places like that. So I don't know. That's where it hit me. You know, I guess the fashion bug, but I never, I was never like deep into like designer labels or anything. I was always more about expressing myself or, you know, whatever subculture I thought I was in at the time. And then it just, you know, evolved. It just something that came natural to me, you know, and your and your look you've always been unique you know and your colors and just you know your choice of silhouettes and you know the way you mix uh you know shapes together and patterns and everything like i'm a huge fan i've always been a huge fan of uh your fashion sense so yeah thanks for that you know inspiration that you give us the eye candy you know that's awesome (laughs) Well, this is so cool. I feel like I've learned like so much. I, uh, I definitely, I keep saying that I have to go to Pittsburgh, but let me tell you something. I'm not going anywhere until the pandemic is. I'm <laughs> here. Everything is closed. Do not come to Pennsylvania. You'll be disappointed. I'm not, not going anywhere until May 2022. <laughs> uh, I've been traveling, but I've been getting tested. I've been traveling, like, but I understand. I know why, you know, people, I get it. Like, you you want to keep yourself safe. You want to keep uh, the people, your family members that uh, may, ha- you know, not have as strong an immune system safe. So, but I, I'll tell the truth. I have been traveling. Like, I'm about to tra- go to Miami next week. Oh, be careful in Miami. <laughs> well, I have to get to come back to my state. I have to have I have to have a negative test to come back to my state. So if I go to Miami and I don't test negative, then I can't come home. Damn. <laughs> then you have to find some, I don't know, NBA or NFL player to uh relax with until you get Girl, ready to go home. I don't why do you think I'll be dating NBAs? That's not who I date. I I wish I would, you know, people always think I'd be the some people have been telling me that for years. I never dated NBA actor, maybe yes, musician, yes, but I never talked to any athletes. No, for no. Long. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! But this has been so cool. I um, so the so just uh, reiterate again for us this festival information so that folks can you know attend. Right. Okay. That is Sabira. Film Fest, S-A-B-I-R-A, Film, F-I-L-M, Fest, F-E-S-T dot org, SabiraFilmFest.org. Or you could go to CityofAsylum.org because our events are listed here. But I do want to mention this. This is important. Um, I'm in partnership with the Brooklyn-based Juve Fest Collective. So they're a leader in the uh, carnival and Juve culture, Caribbean culture, you know, Eastern Parkway. Caribbean Day Parade that you guys have every year in New York City. Uh, They were just instrumental in that. And because of the pandemic restrictions, obviously we're not having Carnival this year. We're not having Juve. We're not gathering in numbers. But our culture, to celebrate our culture, to play our music, uh, that would be required. But obviously, since we can't do it, we thought, well, let's just celebrate 
Jouvet and Carnival Online. So our next film screening is February 21st. Uh, you can get the link for that film screening on Juve Fest Collective. No, JuveFest.com. Juve, J-O-U-V-A-Y, spelled phonetically, not the French way. JuveFest.com, SabiraFilmFest.org, or CityBasylum.org. And that those films are just Caribbean-inspired films. We did uh, Calypso Dreams in January, and we have uh, three shorts for February and a wonderful panel of experts and leaders, uh, Caribbean cultural leaders. And we'll have a, a chat with them after the film on the 21st. Oh my God. That's so awesome. And then uh, if folks want to follow you on um, your socials, like where should they go? <laughs> uh, don't follow me on social. That's why I tell my students. Don't follow my socials. No, it's uh, my name, Ogechi, but I just, because Ogechi is such a common Nigerian name. I had to spell it differently. I can never get Ogechi on any type of platform. So it's zero G three C H one. So all the vowels are the numbers instead of the vowels for Ogechi. So zero G three C H one is my uh, social media. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. I'm going to have to bring you back, um, you know, after the festival is sometime so you can tell us about, you know, some, some more stuff that you got going on, um, you know, later in the year, because you're so interesting, you know, um, I know you're very humble, but you're very interesting. If you guys do venture over to Ogechi's social media, you will see what I mean. And, um, yeah, I've had fun. Like this has been fun. Thanks for stopping by. I really appreciate you. Piper, thanks for inviting me. It was so good to catch up with you. Like, I hope, honestly, I can make it to Detroit one day. Yeah, you'll have to come here. Um, we're closed as well, mostly. Uh, we did open, I guess, today. But for the most part, I really doubt highly that many people are, like, doing too much. Right. I, I figure, like, next year. You know, yeah, next year we'll next look forward. It's gonna be more stuff, but yeah. And so, yeah. Um, thanks for stopping by. This has been the Piper Carter podcast, and you can definitely catch all of our episodes if you go to any of the streaming platforms. And if you go to our socials, please ask us some questions. Interact with us. We're on Facebook and Instagram. PC dot podcast and we have a facebook group as well on and it is piper carter podcast and if you have some questions you want to ask me directly just piper at detroit is different.com and we will see you next week Tune in weekly to the Piper Carter podcast with Piper Carter for a conscious take on music, arts, politics, and fashion. The founder of We Found Hip Hop has a say on what you should know about culture with a balanced conscience. Subscribe, like, and share on Apple iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher to the Piper Carter podcast to hear the stories and thoughts of Piper Carter. Follow Piper Carter on Instagram at Piper Carter. Piper Carter.